This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Today we're catching up with the new superintendent of the National Fire Academy to learn what's current and what's on the horizon at the National Fire Academy. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Side Alpha Podcast is sponsored by Homeland 6 Tactical Radio Straps. These custom radio straps feature extractor washable decontamination capabilities, superior comfort and functionality. Learn more at Homeland 6. That's homelandsix.com. Eric Skablix was appointed as superintendent of the National Fire Academy in November of 2020. He began his fire service career as a volunteer firefighter, much like myself, but he started in Adelphia, New Jersey in 1982. Superintendent Gablix served in various departments in New Jersey and Oregon, rising to the level of deputy fire chief in the Dallas, Oregon Fire Department. In 1991, he joined the Oregon Department of Public Safety Standards and Training. DPSST sets professional training and licensing standards for more than 41,000 public and private safety professionals in the state of Oregon. Chief Gablix, thanks for joining us today on the Side Alpha podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Chief, uh, a great, great honor to be appointed NFA superintendent. It must have been so surreal uh, having attended the NFA for the first time when you were 20 years old, then returning this past November as the nation's chief fire instructor. Can you speak to how your career having worked in, I mean, you've worked in a sheriff's office, you worked in fire departments, you worked in public safety standards and training, um, a public safety academy. How have all of those experiences prepared you for this path uh, that's brought you to the NFA? And if you can include in that, how has the transition from Oregon to the mountains of Emmitsburg been? Uh, wow, that's a, a big question. And, and <laughs> let me start, uh, let me, let me start really with um, the, the why. Um, uh, very much, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we both started similarly with uh, volunteer fire organizations. Uh, I had the opportunity to attend a two-day National Fire Academy class that was being offered at the time uh, at the Monmouth County, New Jersey Fire Academy as a young uh, volunteer fire officer. Uh, I went to that class. I was impressed with the instruction that I received. Uh, and then somebody told me that I should go to a state weekend. Uh, and for those listeners that don't know what a state weekend is, uh, the National Fire Academy offers in partnership with state fire training organizations a number of two-day weekend events here on campus in Emmitsburg, uh, which we call state weekends. So there may be a New Jersey state weekend, a, a Maryland state weekend, uh, you name it. A lot of the states on, on the eastern side of the country do that to bring uh, both career and volunteer fire and EMS personnel here to campus to not only experience amazing training, but also to see the campus and, and to see um, the history that's here. Um, so, so, and I'll come back to the history in a sec, um, but that led me to come to the campus. Uh, I, I took the two-day class and I continue to be impressed uh, as I progressed in my career in the fire service. I continue to be active in uh, National Fire Academy classes, both here at Emmitsburg uh, and then on a state level uh, in Oregon when I moved. Um, so I was kind of hooked, if you will, as a, as a lifelong learner. Um, then as sure. I progressed as a state fire training director, and I think you and I uh, really have similar career paths, and, and as you rose through the ranks and, and you know became chief, and as I became director of the Department of Public Safety Standards and Training, my role really changed from that of a student, but I was still a lifelong learner as you are, 
um, but to that of a mentor uh, for upcoming fire officers and upcoming uh, fire service leaders. Uh, so what I did uh, very much um, to, to my uh, enjoyment uh, was I shared the National Fire Academy opportunities with career and volunteer fire and EMS personnel in Oregon. Uh, and what has always surprised me as much uh, as I know about the National Fire Academy, there were people that have never heard about the National Fire Academy. They didn't even know there was a National Fire Academy, uh, and they didn't know what the National Fire Academy did. So, you know, I was very active in encouraging people to attend National Fire Academy classes, uh, and that included two-day classes on a state basis. That included the Executive Fire Officer here uh, program here on campus, um, but also just letting them know about all the opportunities that are available, honestly, free of charge. And that's the other thing uh, that a lot of our fire service colleagues don't know is that the fire academy here in Emmitsburg, Maryland does not charge for anything. So uh, we're very blessed uh, through federal funding to be able to provide top-notch training opportunities free of charge. Uh, and what free of charge means for people outside the driving area uh, is that if you're from California, Alaska, Hawaii, Florida, um, if you're accepted to be a student in the National Fire Academy, uh, the National Fire Academy will reimburse you for your plane ticket We'll put you up here on campus free of charge. Uh, we'll provide you with world-class training. And all we ask of you is your time and then also to pay for your meals while you're here. Um, so those are the two, uh, if you will, uh, buys, buy-ins that people have to make. Um, but that's a great opportunity. And, and when the uh, when the position opened up, uh, I spoke with my wife and I always had a, a, a true uh, passion for the organization and its mission. Uh, I told her I was interested in applying, and she said that I should. Uh, and a number of months later, I was asked to be the superintendent. So truly, a, a very, uh, a very significant honor, and and something that I'm I'm very pleased with. Uh, and not only because of the role of superintendent, but also because of the love I have for the organization and its mission. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, we're going to talk a little later about the uh, knowledge around the country, of folks that uh, have not heard of the academy, but. You know, you're not new to the East Coast. How has that transition been from Oregon back to the East Coast and, and this time now in Emmitsburg? So it's a, it's a great question. And, and I have a smile on my face because um, this is the first uh, winter where I had to uh, deal with snow, i.e. shoveling snow, driving through snow uh, <laughs> in 30 years. So in Oregon, um, uh, and, and I think your listeners will appreciate that in Oregon, where I lived in the Willamette Valley, just uh off the I-5 corridor near Salem, um, we would get snow maybe one or two days a year. Um, and most people would just stay home when it snowed. Uh, in some cases, people would get caught uh, in the in the city and they would just leave their car and have somebody else drive them home and they'd pick it up the day after. Um, but here living uh, in uh, just outside of uh, uh, Maryland in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania right now, uh, and driving back and forth to Emmitsburg, Maryland, uh, we had uh, quite a bit of snow this year in a number of different significant snowfalls. But uh, Oregon, uh, different than um, the the uh, mid-Atlantic states here where uh, people know how to drive in the snow, they know how to plow the snow, they know, they know that they should shovel their snow and, and things don't stop, right? So people are just more careful. But in Oregon, uh, everything kind of pauses until things melt and then we can resume. So it's uh, it's been a nice change and it's been uh, great to see snow. Um, my wife is a native Oregonian, so she went to school uh, for her uh, master's degree at Rutgers. So she experienced snow there, but uh, took some getting used to for her. Um, our cat still isn't used to snow because just hasn't seen snow that much. 
Um, but the other benefit uh, being here is that uh, my brother and sister are still in New Jersey. So uh, we were able to get together uh, just a few weekends ago uh, to celebrate my aunt's 95th birthday. So a lot of those things that I wasn't able to do in the past, now we can being here. So it's uh, exciting to be back. Yeah, very, very cool. I don't <clears throat> I don't know about this thing called snow. You know, I've been in Florida the last four years. It it got down to 50 last week and we we pulled out the parkas. So, yeah. I, I wish you luck in the mountains there. It's a beautiful territory. I absolutely encourage everybody to uh, take the opportunity to to uh, get up to that area, um, get to the academy, but also get to the area. A lot of history, uh, and like you just indicated, a lot of free opportunity for training at the National Fire Academy. So, Chief, uh, recently you held an interview with uh, one of our editorial board members, Linda Willing, and in that um, you hit on the difficulty of um, the the entire training environment during the world of COVID. Um, can you speak to how the NFA dealt with the physical campus closure and the broad expansion of uh, the virtual campus? Sure. So uh, really, the the COVID nineteen pandemic affected the fire and emergency services uh, not only across the country but across the globe. Um, you know, one of the things that the National Fire Academy had to do. Uh, was figure out what the new normal would look like and how we phase in that new normal uh, as conditions enabled us to do so. For a number of months, uh, quite honestly, the National Fire Academy didn't have any in-person classes here on our campus in Emmonsburg, Maryland. So we suspended in-person training, but that didn't mean that we were closed. And, and that's an important distinction because we still um, we're providing uh, virtual training classes, online classes, uh, and working with our dedicated staff here uh, at the National Fire Academy, we pivoted a number of our two-day classes to uh, virtual classes. So um, that's not something that we had uh, leaned into heavily. Um, the talent that we have here on campus is amazing. And, and while Zoom is not a end-all be-all as far as a virtual delivery platform, uh, it did serve a very important purpose for a lot of classes that were uh, of interest to fire and EMS providers across the country. So um, we leaned in heavily with virtual classes, uh, and we're still doing that now. Um, what that has allowed us to do uh, is reach really both career and volunteer fire and EMS personnel in rural communities that have never taken a National Fire Academy class. Uh, mm -hmm. And as many people as we reach, and that's about 25,000 people a year through our training programs, uh, what we know is in, in a lot of states, um, and, and I'll just use Oregon uh, because that's where I came from, uh, in Oregon, it would take you 10 hours to go from east to west and six hours to go from north to south. So even if the National Fire Academy offered a two-day class somewhere in the state, that would take a significant amount of time for somebody to go to that class and be away from either their department or their family or both. Um, so the virtual classes that we've been leaning into has allowed us to reach people that have never had a chance to take a National Fire Academy class. So we see there being a, a growth area, if you will, in that for us, um, but not across the board, but really for those classes that are unique to what we provide uh, and that we have an expertise in. So, so you'll never see us, for example, do virtual training uh, on firefighter uh, issues such as, uh, you know, uh, hose evolutions or pumper apparatus, uh, those kind of classes, because that's not our, our niche. That's that's done by local fire departments, regional training facilities, uh, and state fire training organizations. But for example, our incident safety officer class, a two-day class, is in high demand 
Uh, I think we have 15 of those scheduled and we can't offer enough to meet the need uh, of people wanting that training. So the virtual is very much something um, that we're excited about and, and that we've really seen a lot of interest uh, on the campus yeah. on the uh, and, then, and then switching to the campus front. Um, I'm excited to share with, with you and, and all your listeners that that next week. Um, we're going to be bringing students back on campus here in Emmitsburg. So uh, we will have uh, five National Fire Academy classes coming back. Uh, it's going to be different. And, and what I mean by different, much like workplaces across the country now, um, you know, we're going to have six foot social distancing in place, uh, mandatory face coverings. We'll do obviously the personal health checks every morning. Uh, but then we're also going to do testing uh, every 72 hours for staff and students here on campus just to make sure we have a safe environment. So that's something that we we didn't have in place when we when we uh, suspended training. Uh, but in order for us to kind of resume operations, that's what we're going to have to do. Uh, and then hopefully, as more and more people get vaccinated, um, we're going to see the increases in number of students that we could have on campus. Uh, and then we'll hopefully uh, get back to a, a more sense of normal, uh, you know, with hundreds of students here uh, over the next few months as time and, and the uh, guidance allows us to. So the the outlook is for that to be a, an April 12th rollout that Monday or the Sunday, the 11th? Uh, Sunday, the 11th, the students okay. and instructors will come back on campus and then we'll start uh, with training on Monday morning. Yep. Monday, okay. April 12th. Excellent. So that uh, you heard it here first. Uh, Sunday, April 11th, they'll be opening back up for limited um, uh, capability of students. And over time, as as more vaccines uh, get out there, uh, as the superintendent uh, said, they'll be able to uh, expand that. Can you speak to the challenges that staff had uh, switching to that virtual uh, environment, going from the almost, I wouldn't say complete on campus to complete off campus, but for a lot of those folks, that's what it was, was there was a switch they had to. Can you speak to uh, the, the challenges they had to overcome and, and how they addressed any of those challenges? Sure. So so one of the one of the biggest challenges was identifying which of the National Fire Academy classes really were a good fit for virtual delivery. So uh, classes that involve a lot of uh, interaction, for example, uh, some of our incident management classes, uh, you know, the, the sim lab where where we're simulating a multi alarm fire and, and we have fire service leaders, uh, you know, current and upcoming learning how to manage uh, those incidents, those really wouldn't be a good fit for the virtual delivery um, because of the limitations that we had in technology. So we we identified which classes would be a good fit, which classes would have uh, wide appeal, uh, if you will, across the country, uh, and working on those and, and getting those out through a, a very basic platform being Zoom uh, that allowed us to have students uh, log in locally uh, as long as they had internet. Uh, and we're very honest internally with our discussions that we still know in 2021 uh, that there are places in the United States where uh, both career and volunteer fire agencies have uh, limited uh, internet connections and in some places none at all. Um, but we found Zoom to be a good platform and that's been working out well for us. Uh, our long-term solution here uh, is we're in the process of acquiring a learning management a software system, uh, much like other colleges and universities have, uh, that allow us to really kind of take that next step into a more formalized uh, distance and virtual learning opportunity. So we have other classes in the hopper, for example, EMS, community risk reduction, uh, fire prevention investigations, uh, our building curriculum for that LMS system. It's just not here yet. Uh, we hope to have it here in the summer. So so really the, the steps we're taking now are the baby steps to more of a presence uh, with us having a learning management uh, system 
uh, here in a few months. Um, the other thing I'll also add um, is that we were able to continue our off-campus deliveries on a state-by-state -state basis uh, with our state fire training partners. So uh, in some states, uh, they were still able to host our classes and they had campuses large enough. Uh, for example, uh, we had one state that had a large auditorium uh, that they didn't want to cancel the National Fire Academy class, but they were able to put uh, 30 students in that auditorium meeting the six-foot social distancing guidelines. So we were able to have instructors go in and teach that because we were meeting the guidelines. So so again, we worked through that state by state. Uh, so that was another way uh, that we kept the doors open, if you will, uh, i.e. National Fire Academy delivering training uh, during the pandemic. Well, that's, uh, that's good that uh, you've got that opportunity to work with the states. And I know the NFAs always work with the State Training Academy as well. So you mentioned something that's uh, interesting to me there, and um, you, you may or may not want to speak to this, and that's okay. But the challenge of Internet access in fire departments across the country, and I see it. I, I saw it in West Virginia when I worked there, and um, I still see it here uh, in, in Florida. I have one of my... Um, companies that just the community has no internet access does does that give you any pause or any thoughts of uh, uh, how to use this pandemic to further the cause of the first net network and improving access to fire departments um so it's a good question i know that when i joined uh the fema team here at the u.s fire administration uh, on my first day i received uh my uh cellular device, uh, my, my, my iPhone, uh, Your first net phone. my first net phone. Correct. Uh, and then I received my laptop, uh, and I've been able to conduct business from home when I'm teleworking, uh, just like I'm here on campus through that, that first net phone, uh, which becomes a personal hotspot. Uh, but I'm very fortunate to have that, uh, capability through FEMA as my employer, uh, what I realized from from working uh, across the country, so so not only in my day-to-day -day work in Oregon, but being active with the North American Fire Training Directors, uh, and you and I have worked on a number of projects together over the years, um, but what we know from, from our experience is if you've been to one fire department, you've been to one the fire department. Don't, don't expect that the same thing that you see at Fire Department A is what's next door at Fire Department B. Uh, so even mm -hmm. in Oregon, you know, driving across the state, even though we're in the same state uh, with the same uh, utility providers, uh, the capabilities of our fire departments in Oregon were very different from a metro to a suburban to a rural to a frontier setting. So so that's one of the things uh, that we have to keep in mind when we de develop training and deliver training is that that we still know in some places, uh, even though we're in 2021, um, there still are fire departments that don't have the same Internet access that others do. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that the FirstNet project's still rolling out um, in between that and the whole COVID crisis. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where that program is, but I know that the switch and the transition at the NFA was was probably difficult at best. And it sounds like staff did a fantastic job in uh, keeping the training environment going. Let's take a brief moment to recognize our sponsor. Homeland 6 tactical radio straps are heavy duty, yet lightweight and 100% made in USA. These are the world's first custom radio straps made from military grade nylon that's used in ballistic vests. Unlike traditional leather, they're also extractor washable for pathogens like COVID-19 and for carcinogen decon. These are making leather straps a thing of the past. Homeland 6 tactical radio straps are available in multiple colors, 
with adjustable, regular, and extra-large sizes, even with reflective or glow-in-the-dark patterns and custom text. New customers can receive a discount on their first order of tactical radio straps or other accessories at Homeland 6. That's homelandsix.com. Superintendent Gavlix, uh, you are an executive fire officer graduate, and later uh, you were a member of the NFA Board of Visitors. Um, you were active on uh, various work groups that were formed to review and provide feedback for the EFO program. Um, I understand as part of that feedback, it seems that one of the big changes that's occurred at NFA involves the EFO program. Uh, specifically, it's, it's getting a little shorter and a little harder. Can you um, tell us about that shift and what's the timing on the change? Sure. So one of the things that that I that I and uh, my colleagues on the Board of Visitors and 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 for your listeners, the Board of Visitors uh, was created by Federal Action, uh, and the Board of Visitors uh, role is very similar to that of a Board of Trustees at a college or university, and that and that group meets quarterly. Uh, and the National Fire Academy, U.S. Fire Administration provide them with information on on the National Fire Academy programs, our facilities, our operations, uh, and they, in essence, give guidance to the FEMA administrator uh, and, and to the president about the National Fire Academy and what we do. Um, one of the things that, that I was fortunate to be part of uh, was a work group that was looking at the executive fire officer program. Uh, and for those listeners that aren't aware of that, um, that is one of the nation's uh, premier uh, programs to help develop our current and future fire service leaders um, and, and it's meant to basically um, cover a lot of the different topics that a fire service leader, uh, a chief officer, executive fire officer should know. So uh, community partnerships, understanding um, their role in the fire department, uh, their leadership uh, philosophies, um, the, the use of research and data as they meet with their city council or elected officials, uh, and, and a lot of the different things that go along with being a, an executive fire officer. So budgeting, all the different things uh, that we expect that person um, that's leading an organization to be uh, involved in and, and very aware of. Uh, one of the biggest concerns as we looked at the executive fire officer program was not in what was being taught in what I call the legacy executive fire officer program. It was a solid program. Uh, I, I, as you mentioned, went through that program and I really enjoyed not only the learning environment, but I enjoyed the network that I created through that. And I've stayed in touch with EFO students I've been in class with throughout my careers. And I know that you and others have done the same thing. Um, but what we realized was by the time people got through the four-year program, a lot of them were ready to retire uh, or would retire soon afterwards. So the duration of four years was very hard for those individuals to get away from work um, to continue in the program. And it wasn't a knock on the program, that's just the way it was set up. So, so what we asked the Fire Academy staff at the time uh, is to reduce the time it took to get through the EFO program. So four years was too long. Um, so what we suggested is that the program go from four years to two years, but not that we cut or water down any of the information. In fact, we wanted to see the information updated. Um, the other thing that we wanted to see as Board of uh, Visitors members was an increase in the academic rigor. So um, what we wanted to see is that those programs be equivalent to a master's degree program at a college or university so that the men and women taking EFO uh, could then through the ACE accreditation process that the National Fire Academy goes through, uh, leave our program and hopefully apply those uh, ACE credits that they receive through EFO 
toward their master's degree uh, at a local college and university. So um, that was the direction. So shorten the time, increase the academic rigor, and our staff is working on doing just that. So, so we are working through the first uh, group coming on campus, and they'll actually be joining us here uh, on Sunday, the 11th. So we're going to have three different groups of EFO uh, students come on campus, and they've been delayed during the pandemic because of our shutdown, uh, but they're going to be here going through the first uh, on-campus executive fire officer class called Exercise of Executive Leadership Self, which looks at their role as an executive fire officer, their role in the organization, their role in the community, uh, and understanding that the fire uh, NEMS agency is a community partner, uh, not an island unto itself. Um, so, so fire NEMS is important, but so is public works, libraries, parks, schools, and law enforcement. So understanding how that leader's uh, role fits into that organization and how they communicate uh, and work within their community. Um, so, so the new EFO model uh, goes two years. There are four in-person classes here on campus. There are four mediated classes off campus, so they'll do those uh, through a, a mediated format. Uh, and then the other change, and some of your uh, listeners may remember the old system had after each class an applied research paper, um, they now will defend a thesis. So we went away from the paper after each class to the students writing a thesis that they'll have to defend to an academic panel uh, made up of uh, fire and academic leaders uh, that will basically uh, go through that process with them uh, and evaluate their uh, thesis and, and give them feedback. So uh, we're pretty excited about the change. We're still very early on uh, into the new FO. So we're building what we call semester two right now. Uh, and then semester three and four will be starting here in a few months because those won't kick in until next year. Okay, so but but the four-year program is for all intents and purposes done, uh, and everything here forward, the students will be enrolling in a two-year program. Right. Yes, and it's a great question, Chief. That the the, the four-year program you can't apply for anymore, but unfortunately, it's not done. And and I'm uh, I'm I'm giggling about that because uh, we had planned to bring year three and year four of the old program here on campus, um, but COVID basically delayed that. So our yeah. staff has pivoted. Yeah. Uh, and they developed year three uh, as a mediated online, and they're developing year four. So we still have uh, a, a few hundred fire officers caught, if you will, in in what the legacy program. And we finished up uh, a, a group of them uh, last week and another group the month before. Uh, we've got a few people still kind of stuck out there on the island uh, of transition. So we're working to get them done by the end of this year. And then that will finish up everybody that was in the four-year program. I love the island of transition. That uh, that could apply to so, to so many things during uh, during COVID here. So so that sounds like some great changes for the EFO program. I know um, when I was a young officer, the the four years was a daunting uh, thought, and uh, Dr. O'Neill and I had some long conversations about that over time. So I'm glad to see those changes um, and and wish you well with that. Beyond the changes in the EFO program, can you share some of your, your personal goals as superintendent? Sure. So, so virtual, as we've talked about, we'll lean in more heavily into the virtual opportunities because of the benefits that they bring. Um, the other thing that, that I'm very aware of and our staff is very aware of is uh, the diversity within the National Fire Academy. So uh, we need to diversify our, our staff. We need to obviously have a diverse group of instructors that come and, and give their time to us as contractors to provide 
uh, training both here on campus and, and across the country. But also we need to see more diversity in our classrooms. We need to see more women. Uh, we need to see more uh, black uh, black uh, fire officers, black fire service leaders, uh, as well as Hispanics and others. So we are the National Fire Academy and we should represent uh, the communities that are served across the country. And we're doing a lot of outreach uh, with those groups that represent. Uh, for example, uh, this morning I met uh, uh, with the executive director of the Black uh, Fire Officers uh, Association. So they're gonna help us get the word out about our programs. We're doing the same thing with Women in Fire, uh, uh, Black Professional Firefighters Association, National Hispanic Firefighters Association. So getting the word out to them that, that we are the nation's fire academy and we'd like to see uh, their members apply so that uh, our, our classrooms uh, reflect the, the country that we serve. Absolutely. Chief, um, one of the topics you covered in your interview with Linda Willing was uh, the, and, and this is what we talked about before, but the, the seemingly perennial challenge of NFA awareness among firefighters. So uh, I want to read a quote from the article, okay? Um, what you said there was that while thousands attend NFA classes on an annual basis, there are thousands who have no idea the NFA exists, what it does, and how to enroll in the amazing training and educational opportunities we offer to fire and EMS personnel from career combination of volunteer organizations on an annual basis. And I'm going to say this again. This is what you said then. You said it a few minutes ago. Free of charge. So can we speak? Can you speak a little bit more about that challenge and, and your thoughts on overcoming uh, that awareness challenge? Sure. Um, what I'll do for this chief is I'll I'll use a personal uh, discussion I had with one of my staff members when I announced that I was uh, selected as the superintendent of the National Fire Academy, and and they said to me, you know, how many trucks, how many fire trucks are at the National Fire Academy? There must be hundreds. Uh, and I yeah. said, don't take this wrong. There's not a single fire truck at the National Fire Academy. Uh, our fire protection is provided by Vigilant Hose here, uh, right up the street in Emmitsburg. Uh, and, and the National Fire Academy, truly, when you go back and look at the seminal document, which is uh, America Burning and the Fire Prevention and Control Act uh, in the 70s, the vision of the National Fire Academy was very similar to that of West Point, uh, which is the, the place that fire service leaders, current and future, uh, come to learn uh, and to build networks. So, so we have, since the academy has been opened, uh, been sharing our work, but what I know from my travels and, and, and my uh, experiences across the country, there are still people that don't know that there's a National Fire Academy. Um, there are people that don't know it's free. Uh, we're funded by people uh, when they pay their taxes every year. So, so we don't charge for anything here other than the meals. We don't charge anything for the local deliveries. We don't charge anything for the virtual deliveries. Um, but yet, because of attrition, we know firefighters um, retire from career departments and volunteer departments. We know volunteer uh, firefighters uh, leave after a number of years. Some may stay throughout a career. Um, but we also know people move on and they promote and, and some may know about us and others don't. So, so really one of my major goals is to make the National Fire Academy and its programs uh, more knowledge, uh, more knowledgeable, if you will, to the American Fire Service. So, you know, career, uh, volunteer combination departments should know that we exist. They should know about our programs. Uh, the same is true for our EMS partners because the National Fire Academy does provide uh, EMS classes. Uh, we provide amazing opportunities for fire and arson investigators, uh, uh, 
uh, hazmat, uh, all the different things that we offer, community risk reduction, uh, wildland urban interface. So getting people to know what we provide uh, and then secondly, getting them to enroll in a program. So uh, I've been working quite a bit here on campus to use our social media platforms. So uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, the web, uh, all the different things, Twitter, uh, to let people know that uh, we're open, to let them know what we do, to let them know when we have vacancies, to let them know when we're looking for uh, full-time or part-time staff. So basically just making the National Fire Academy uh, something that everybody in the fire service knows about and hopefully everybody at some point in their career, whether they're volunteer or career, uh, has an opportunity to take one of our training classes. So if they, anybody wants any information on training programs, it's www.usfa.fema.gov slash training slash NFA. So www.usfa.fema.gov slash training slash NFA. And that'll take them right to the NFA page. And all of these programs you talked about, there's information about them out there, how to apply, all the steps they need to take, right? They can they can go there and find all that out. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. So lastly, Chief, uh, as we come towards the end here, can you share some advice with um, someone who may be a newly appointed chief officer? If you had some advice to share, what would that be? Um, so just thinking off the top of my head, uh, the first one is continue to learn, uh, be a lifelong learner of not only the fire service, but about uh the organization that you represent so we have to understand that just because we've been through training doesn't mean that we know everything that there is because we work in an industry a trade the fire service fire and ems service that is constantly changing so so never stop learning um so so that's one of those things uh secondly i, I would say uh tied into never stop learning never stop reading um read about uh, leadership and not just fire service leadership books. Uh, and there's dozens that are fantastic, um, but read about leadership uh, from the private sector, read about leadership from the military, um, you know, keep reading um, so that you can bring those different ideas to how you uh, look at leading your organization, whether you're a new officer, an inspiring officer, or a seasoned veteran uh, that's been leading an organization, never stop reading because reading is learning. Uh, and then finally, um, and, and this is something that that I have uh, truly uh, benefited from uh, throughout my uh, leadership opportunities that I've had in, in different organizations is building a strong network. Uh, and that is, you know, networking with people, not only within your organization, but also within your community and your state. So um, I, I know in, in different elements that I was in, uh, building a partnership, for example, with the Chamber of Commerce, because um, that's what the fire department does is we're serving the businesses as well as the residents. Um, so knowing what the business community uh, wants from us, and, and in some cases sharing what Fire and EMS does for the community, because uh, they may not know. Um, that same is true with uh, elected officials. The same is true with our our county partners and, and even being active on state and national organizations. So, um, you know, being a member of, of different state uh, national organizations, whether it's uh, firefighters, fire instructors, fire chiefs, uh, you name it, uh, those groups are a great way to not only network, but also to learn more information. So so never stop learning, uh, you know, be an active reader. Uh, and also create a, a fantastic network of people that you can reach out to and have a discussion with. And sometimes uh, it doesn't have to be work-related. It could be about something else, but uh, but just having a, a network of people that you can talk to. 
Good stuff. Good stuff. Is there anything else you'd like to cover with our listeners, uh, Superintendent Gablix? Uh, the last thing I'll cover, and, and you shared this, but I'll, I'll just emphasize it. Uh, the National Fire Academy is free of charge. Uh, our webpage has a wealth of information on in-person, online, virtual classes. Uh, and if you look after April 15th, you'll be able to enroll in classes that we plan to offer here uh, after October 1st. So that'll be our next uh, semester, if you will, starting up. So uh, April 15th, we'll start accepting applications. Uh, and we hope to grow the number of students here on campus and virtually. Uh, our target uh, last year was uh, 25,000 uh, students. We'll be a little bit below that because of the pandemic, uh, but we're hoping uh, after October 1st to be back up to 25,000 if uh, the safety and health uh, conditions allow us to do so. So uh, just apply. Uh, it's super simple. It's online, uh, and we'd love to see you. Outstanding. So I want to capture some takeaways from our discussion with uh, the National Fire Academy Superintendent, Eric Skablix. Uh, we talked about being, throughout the conversation, we talked about being a, a lifelong learner. Um, and we talked about the challenges of the National Fire Academy delivery of programs during COVID and how phasing in uh, the new normal is just becoming a way of, becoming a way of life for um, all of us in both in training and in, in a lot of cases in service delivery, doing things differently. He talked about uh, pivoting many of the two-day live programs that were done on campus, but pivoting many of them into virtual uh, Zoom presentations and how, you know, the, what some of the challenges were. We talked about those and then uh, talked about how the virtual experience has significantly expanded the opportunities in more uh, remote locations that uh, previously didn't have NFA opportunities or it didn't avail themselves of the NFA opportunities. And this expanded virtual environment has uh, made that available to them. Um, we talked about uh, returning to a live campus life, if you will, uh, beginning Sunday, April 11th, instructors and students. So it's Sunday, April 11th, 2021, uh, instructors and students uh, began returning to uh, the campus, and there will be limited students at first, and with the, with the hopes to expand that over time. Uh, we talked about the challenges of limited access, again, to fire departments across the country with respect to uh, internet and broadband, and a little bit about how FirstNet may or may not play into that. And uh, and then Superintendent Gablix talked to us about a new learning management system that uh, the National Fire Academy is in the process of uh, establishing. And, and, of course, that will take some time, but uh, we look forward to seeing the, uh, the fruits of that labor for sure. Then we got into the executive fire officer program and how uh, some great stuff going on with that, transitioning from a four-year program to a two-year program beginning again this uh, coming April um, uh, 12th as the beginning of the actual program. We talked about enhancing in that EFO program about enhancing the academic rigor to match ACE requirements equal to master's degree programs and switching from uh, individual papers after sections to one thesis that would have to be defended against uh, uh, peers. So a lot of good stuff going on in the EFO program. Uh, then we talked uh, some more about uh, leaning heavily into the uh, virtual learning of the future and how uh, some of the things that um, Superintendent Gablix wants to get done is leaning heavy into that virtual environment and uh, one of the other big things he wants to work on is uh, the outreach within our entire community and how he's already reaching out to various organizations to improve uh, diversity in the fire service and uh, in general and in particular at the National Fire Academy. Uh, and then finally, we talked uh, a little bit more about the NFA programs that uh, 
that, that the National Fire Academy has, both fire departments, EMS, fire investigators, HAZMAT, all kinds of other programs, and how uh, April 15th they'll be accepting uh, applications for the fall semester. So April 15th, 2021, uh, they began uh, accepting applications for the fall semester. And my final question to uh, Chief uh, Gablix was uh, what advice he could share with new officers. And I just want to read those bullets for you. And that was number one, to be a lifelong learner about the fire service and your organization. It's just because you know it about the fire service doesn't mean uh, the same thing at every organization. So make sure you know your organization. He said, never stop reading because reading is learning. To build networks locally, statewide and beyond. And then finally, we talked about uh, access to the programs and I'll read it again. Uh, our listeners can learn more from the National Fire Academy 24 hours a day by visiting www.usfa.fema.gov training NFA. And on Twitter, they are at US Fire. So again, for the uh, website, that is www.usfa.fema.gov training NFA. Superintendent Gablix, thanks for joining us, and thanks to our listeners for hanging in there with us. This is Mark Bash, your executive editor for FireRescue1.com and FireChief.com. We'll talk with you soon, again, here on Side Alpha Podcast. In the meantime, join us on FireRescue1.com for the latest news and information affecting the fire service worldwide. Have a great day. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care.